Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. Today we're going to talk about the worldly view of greatness and leadership and the godly view of greatness and leadership. And there is a difference, you know, Bible versus culture. And what the world really needs is more godly leaders, not just leaders, but godly leaders. And in this section in Luke today that we're going to be studying, Jesus is having a conversation with his 12 leaders, his 12 disciples. So this is Christianity 1.0. I mean, this is the beginning. And Jesus is sharing this with his disciples because they are going to set the tone and pattern for Christianity all the way up until present day. Jesus knows he's going to die and rise and ascend back into heaven very soon. And so he wants to hand off through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to hand off the forward progress of the kingdom of God on earth. So he's going to have a discussion with them about greatness and leadership and how it should be done in a godly way, not a worldly way. So we're in Luke 22 where Jesus talks about true greatness. Now, if you happen to come in here for the first time in a really long time, you might think, why are we beginning at the end of Luke? Most of you know better. This is the 97th sermon in the Gospel of Luke. We've been at it a while. Some of y'all are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's been that long. Our view is God has inspired the writing of a book. It's all about Jesus. We love it. We love studying it. And that's what we're doing. And just so you know, where this is all going to go, Easter is going to be Easter, if you follow me. Okay. Well, this week, we get to hear the dumbest argument in the history of the world. And it's an argument they've already had in Luke chapter 9, and they're going to have it again. We read in Luke 22, verse 24, a dispute also arose among them, that's the 12 disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Do you see where this is a really dumb question? They're trying to compare themselves to each other, but hey, there are 13 people. There are 12 disciples and one Jesus. And the question among the 12 is, which one of us is the greatest? It's a dumb question, right? (laughs) Were I Jesus in that moment? I would have used this for comedy and shame. I would say something like, well, (laughs) that's a really good question. All right, let's let's see where, where this goes. All right. I'm going to ask some questions and count to three, and if this, you can answer this, raise your hand, okay, this is Jesus talking, on the count of three, raise your hand if your mom was a virgin, one, two, three, oh, just me, all right, round two, raise your hand, count of three, if you created the universe, one, two, three, ha, just me again, okay, round three, this is your chance. I'm getting ready to go water skiing without a boat. Who's with me? Now, here's what I find curious. Jesus never rebukes them for desiring greatness. He never says, 
how dare you? Uh, what a terrible pursuit. What were you thinking? Don't you know better? He doesn't rebuke their desire for greatness. He redirects it. So what that means is that we need to redeem the pursuit of greatness. There are three categories which we tend to work in and filter everything through, whether it's money or sex or power or greatness or leadership, and it's these three categories. Receive, reject, or redeem. Can we receive this? It's a good thing. It's honest. It's true. It's the right thing. We receive this information, or we're going to receive and act on this thing. Do we reject it? It's not good, it's harmful, it's not the truth, we just reject it. Or should we redeem it? It's not inherently bad, but we can make it for good, for sure. And, and here Jesus is going to redeem greatness and leadership, and he's going to show us what greatness truly is and how leaders should truly lead. Now this is important. Because every one of us is a leader of someone. Some of you are formal leaders. You have titles and you hold office. Some of you are informal, informal leaders. People just come to you for advice and counsel. Some of you have big influence. A lot of people look to you. Some of you have little influence, a smaller circle. Anyone who's a parent is a leader. You're leaders of your children. So let me ask you a question. Do you want to be great? It's kind of a hard question. Or maybe you're thinking it's a trick question. Because if I say, yes, I want to be great, does that make me proud and arrogant and selfish? Well, it depends. So let me help us redeem that question. Do you want to have a great walk with God? Do you want to have a great marriage? Do you want to raise great children? Do you want to participate in a great church or help build a great company? See, some of us need to aspire to more. Some of us have not tried our hardest, done our best, presented ourselves for leadership in school or church or community or neighborhood. You and I need to be the best versions of ourselves by the grace of God that we can be to maximize our skills, talents, and abilities so that we might help as many people as possible. But we always need to be careful that we're pursuing greatness in a way that is godly and not worldly. So again, Jesus says, not just seek greatness, but to seek godly greatness as opposed to worldly greatness. Here's how he puts it. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. So he's distinguishing between worldly and godly greatness. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? 
but I am among you as one who serves. So he's saying, all right, aspire to greatness. And in as much as you are able, lead, but not in a way that is worldly, but in a way that is godly. And here's how he redeems it. First, he tells us to reject worldly greatness and leadership. He says that worldly view of greatness and leadership is all about the leader. You would lord it over people then. You would intimidate, be a boss, be a bully, mean, cruel, harsh. The people under you exist only to serve you, obey you, follow you, in theological language, to worship you. It's all about you. You're the center. And then you become a benefactor, he says, which means you're rich and powerful, and you can confer on people wealth and power. But they have to beg for it. They have to grovel. They have to deserve it. And that's how you control them. It's funny how some things never change. That's still how the world works. And Jesus says, not like that. This doesn't mean you shouldn't seek to be a leader. If God has opened up an opportunity for you to lead in a big way or small way, pursue it, but not like that. Jesus says, I have a godly way for you to do that, not a worldly way, because you see, one of the attributes of God is that God is a great God, and we want to mirror or reflect the greatness of God. So we pursue greatness in a way that reflects the character of God and not the culture of the world in which we live. Now here's how our world works, and it was this way in Jesus' day. The goal is to make as much money and have as much power as you possibly can so that everyone else around you serves you and you don't serve anyone, right? Have you ever been to a bank and seen how some people treat their teller? <laughs> you stole my money. No, she didn't. If she had, she wouldn't be at the bank. She'd be on vacation somewhere not getting yelled at. Or what about in an airport? And a guy comes out and says, where's my luggage? And the guy behind the counter says, well, I'm sorry, sir. if you haven't found your luggage, we'll fill out this. Where's my luggage? I know you stole my luggage. Sir, we'll, we'll try to handle this. It, it happens. We don't like it. It happens. If you'll fill out this form, we'll get... you stole my luggage. Okay, yes, sir, we did. I wanted your underwear. I really needed it. See, this is what happens when we get into a position of any kind of power. Then we think, man, I'm going to let them have it. And Jesus says, not like that. Be a leader, pursue greatness, but not like that. Now, Jesus himself is the perfect example. He says elsewhere in the Bible, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Wow, that's different. You don't hear a lot of people saying that who are wealthy and powerful. I mean, that's countercultural. That's kingdom language. 
That would not come from a God that we would invent. That would only come from a God who's humble. And guess what? Jesus came humbly. He was born not into a rich family, but a poor family, not from a big city, but a rural town, grew up in obscurity for 30 years being a carpenter for his adoptive dad. That's pretty humble. Now look, it's not a sin to make money. It's not a sin to have a title. It's not a sin to be an authority. But Jesus says, don't achieve those things in a worldly way. And if you do achieve those things, don't behave in a worldly way. Pursue those things. Pursue that status in a godly way. And if you achieve that status, continue to operate in a godly way. This would even affect practically how we deal with others who wait on us in a restaurant, others that we employ, others when we deal with customer service opportunities. I mean, it shouldn't be like we treat them as slaves and we're lords. We should treat them as the image bearers of God. And even if they are serving us, we can serve them with our attitude and disposition. We can serve them with our generosity and our kindness. So Jesus says, you know what? I'm not like other leaders. And he's not. Now, now for anyone who would be new to Christianity, that's going to take a long time to learn that, that Jesus is so different. And the truth is, even for those of us who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, we need to continually relearn this because everything in our pride, everything in our sinful nature and our culture propels us to be anything and everything but a servant. And Jesus says, no, servanthood is the essence of greatness. The one final thought in this passage is Jesus tells us one motivating factor to maintain our encouragement, and that is to seek eternal greatness. Again, Luke 22, Jesus says, you, as he's speaking to his disciples, are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Here's what Jesus is saying. Your life here is not the full extent of your life. He's saying you're going to die and then you're going to rise. And if you're a believer in him, then you're going to enter into an eternal kingdom. And that kingdom is going to have a huge feast. I mean, do you like a feast? Do you like a, a nice party? Do you like it when somebody else pays for it? That's called the kingdom of God. You know who's going to be at the head of the table? Jesus. And the dumb argument would be even better then. Which one of us gets the big chair? Um, the resurrected guy. <laughs> That's his chair, right? 
And then Jesus will assign to us each a seat at his table for this kingdom banquet. Some of us get to sit on thrones. Some of us get a little further down the table. Some of you, I think, are going to be at the kitty table, but that's okay. I don't know the seating chart. But here's what I do know. Wherever we sit with Jesus is way better than anywhere without him. So Jesus is saying, have this long view of things. Be humble. Pursue humility by the grace of God. Take on the attitude of a servant. Make a difference. Help some people. And then when you die and stand before me, you'll hear me say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So in closing, which doesn't mean I'm really about to finish. It just means, hey, I need your attention again. Let me give you a simple exercise. You can do this for yourself. You can do it with your spouse or your group of friends or even with your children. There's a continuum from selfish to servant. And I'll start way over here at zero. Call this zero. Here, you're selfish. Everything is about you. So whether it's your spouse or your friends, they're going to eat what you want to eat, do what you want to do, go where you want to go, watch what you want to watch because it's got to be your way. You're selfish. Uh, over to servant. Here you give, you contribute, you make a difference, you put others' needs first and you take care of them and, and, and you're a blessing in their life. Now, we all live somewhere on that continuum, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think in certain categories about this continuum because the truth is in some categories we're really selfish and in others we're more like a servant. So think with me on this. Okay, here's category number one. If you're married, where are you with your spouse? Would you say, well, I'm more towards selfish or I'm more towards servant? Here's the dangerous assignment. Ask your spouse. Now, spouse, this is not your opportunity to go nuclear and say, well, you're at negative 37. Don't do that. Don't condemn them. But invite them in your marriage to be more of a servant. Okay, how about if you're a parent with your children? Where would you rate yourself or where would your children rate you? Third category, what about your friends? Would they say that you're really selfish? Look, I call you and you don't call me. I, I take care of you. You don't take care of me. We always have to work around your schedule and do what you want to do because you're bossy and inconsiderate. Or would they say you're helpful? You're encouraging. You're generous. I, I'm blessed to know you. Thank you for being such a great friend. What about at your church? Would you say, I'm selfish? 
I don't give, I don't serve, I don't participate. I'm glad somebody takes care of things and opens up the place so I can come in when I feel like it, but I'm not going to do anything. Or would you say, and as much as I'm able, by the grace of God, I do feel like a, I'm a servant. I, I give, I, I, I really have compassion for others. I, I want to participate. I am participating. And we could do that same continuum with, with other categories in our lives. You can do it in, in your place of work. You can do it in your school. You can do it in your neighborhood. The truth is we're all selfish in some areas and servants in others. But here's the big idea. In the grace of God, I want to invite us all to receive some correction from the Holy Spirit and from those with whom we live. Now, this isn't to walk out of here condemned going, man, have I got a lot of work to do. This is to walk out of here compelled and say, Jesus serves me. I need Jesus to serve me and to change my heart and change my attitude so that by the grace of God, I might be a giver and not a taker. I might be one who will make a difference and help others. My job, and I love to do it, is to teach the Bible. All of our jobs is to respond. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.